This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center, Ratchford Eye Center, MD Advantage, Yukon Health Orthopedics and Sports Medicine, and the Connecticut State Medical Society. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You're encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, the show that provides you with up-to-date medical information, and we answer all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it's great to be with you on this Saturday morning. Um, As you can tell, the weather uh, is pretty good today. We've had some rain, but, you know, you could see the temperature warming up, more daylight during the day. So people are really getting out there. I noticed driving by, the golf courses are full, uh, which is so good for people to be out walking and spending time outdoors. What's also impressive are really the number of charity walks going on. Uh, this uh, this month is Autism Awareness Month. I know Food Share has something going on in Hartford, uh, in downtown Hartford today. These are a great opportunity, not only to get out there and walk, but to socialize with friends, do it as a group, and do it for a good charity and for a good cause. So if you have an opportunity to get out and do one of these walk runs to raise money for a great charity, do so. Uh, it'll be great for your health in general. You know, in this part of the show, we do, we do updates. Today, I've got two topics. I'm going to start with the first one. Get this. The cases of measles in the United States hits the highest mark in 25 years. This is crazy. There are over 700 cases of measles now, and it's affecting everyone in all of these various states, including here in Connecticut. And there are these clusters um, in New York and uh, up in Nanuet and that area, Nyack. Um, as well as in Brooklyn, but we're seeing it here in Connecticut as well. What's crazy about this is the fact that parents have had this condition called vaccine hesitancy. It's it's a new term. Um, and basically, vaccine hesitancy um, actually was defined in 2014 by the World Health Organization as a delay in acceptance or refusal of vaccination despite availability of vaccine services. So these parents who think they're doing something good for their children are not. And they base their decision on a hoax that was purported on the Internet and in what was then considered scientific literature. The problem here is that there are complications of this decision. So people are just saying, well, you get a fever, you get a rash, and it's done. It's not. In a small proportion, you have to deal with things called encephalitis and pneumonia and potential death. Encephalitis is swelling of the brain. You can get that from measles. You can get that from any viral infection, but especially these that are avoidable. The other problem is they're hesitant about the MMR vaccine, measles, mumps, rubella. Those of us who are old enough remember rubella, in 1960, when pregnant women contracted rubella, German measles, many of their children were born deaf. That is, we're starting to see that again. And that is atrocious. The fact that we're going to have to deal with young children being born deaf because of vaccine hesitancy. 
And naturally, when those children are born deaf, hey, guess who's going to be paying the bill, right? Medicare, because they need services, right? So these people are making a decision. It's, it's really just disheartening because vaccination is probably the greatest breakthrough we've had in modern medicine. So now the World Health Organization has come out and names vaccine hesitancy among the top 10 global health threats in 2019. Let me give you an idea where it fits in, okay? It fits in with HIV, dengue fever. Dengue fever is a, is a mosquito-borne illness like malaria but can be very deadly. Ebola. Okay, Ebola. We're compare these are people who could avoid these things. We got other problems. Ebola, right? So vaccine hesitancy is right up there at the top ten. Antimicrobial resistance, another world health problem that we're trying to solve. No access to care. Okay. Big problem for people in developing countries who can't get primary care, can't get basic care. So we're trying to solve those problems. While we're doing that, we have people creating new problems, vaccine hesitancy. So with that, we really need, those of us who have some common sense, really need to band together and do whatever has to be done. So in California, at their universities, they're not quarantining people, not letting them go to class to avoid the spread at their universities. That's what it's come down to. We've had to quarantine people. This is so sad that we've come here. And unless the rest of us band together and figure out how to solve this problem, we're going to be in trouble. We're right up there with countries suffering from Ebola and dengue. So, again, a new term. We're going to follow it, but we're going to have to find some solutions. All right, the next topic, universal health care. As many of you know on this program, I've become a fan of universal health care, not Medicare for all, but I like the idea that we should provide some basic health care for all our citizens, and it should not be the responsibility of employers to provide that care. So I had this discussion on another radio program this week, and it was interesting because I got some questions uh, emailed to me. So... What I like about this is the fact that it's an open discussion. Too many times we get emails or hear from listeners and say, oh, that must be a Dem or a leftist or it must be a, a, a supremacist Republican. Okay, this is, not a, this is not an issue. These health issues are not to be discussed as part of your club. Okay, that's what it is, the Republican club or the Democrat club. Okay, this is not a club issue. This is a people issue. And we need to come together and figure out how to solve these problems. One of these problems is providing health care for everyone. I don't like terms being thrown around, socialist, communist. Just stop it. I hear it too much on this radio station as well. Uh, they love throwing those terms. I, maybe it's entertainment value. I don't find it to be helpful. So I got an email from a listener who was somewhat critical but actually asked good questions. So – with a universal health care system in this country, how much will it cost? I don't know how much it will cost, but I can tell you that it will be cheaper in the long run from what we're doing today. Let me explain. If we can avoid, if we could provide adequate primary care 
much like one of the 10 problems globally, well, guess what? We have that problem here. Provide adequate primary care for all our citizens. In the long run, we're not going to spend a lot of money treating heart conditions, diabetes, and the things that we could avoid if we head them off at the pass. So I don't know the exact figure, but I can tell you it will be cheaper in the long run for us as a society. Another question he had, if Medicare pays 80% of cost of living, 20% paid by individuals, how will this be handled in his, under this plan? Guess what? It's not going to be Medicare anymore. So there are going to be things paid for. If you want supplemental insurance, I think, and, and believe me, I'm just, I'm just another citizen talking about this. I'm not the director of health and human services or Medicare. But there are ways of working around that. But we, maybe we've got to get rid of the term Medicare and just get it, get it off the table. Um, another question yet. If the government insures everyone through a single-payer system, will the insurance companies be taken over by the government or left to go bankrupt? What happens to their employees and shareholders? Well, last week on this program, we talked about uh, the exchanges here in Connecticut. These exchanges are administered by insurance companies and their employees. But they're paid, the, their costs are paid by government funds, by tax funds. So I don't see the insurance companies going away. Will they make the same exorbitant profits? I mean, United Healthcare is one of the most profitable, it's right up there with Apple. Will they make those same profits? Probably not. And maybe they shouldn't. But they'll still be employed, they'll still be on the stock market, and they'll still be shareholders. So I don't see that happening. And will the government take over hospitals and doctors? I hope not. I really hope not, because the government has never done real well with this. They've not done a good job at the VA. They've not done a good job with Medicare. I don't believe the government should be involved in health care, except to be a repository for us to place our money and have independent insurance companies pay the bill. Let them screen. You know, we don't see all, when we hear about all these fraud cases, they're always fraud against Medicare, right? You never hear the big fraud against Cigna, Anthem. You know why? They have investigators who go out and find out where the fraud is and wipe it out. So it's always Medicare being taken advantage of because they don't know how to defend themselves. That's why we can't get rid of insurance companies. The other big step is. Paying tuition for medical students, right? Because in a system where you're expected to go out and do primary care and make less money, somebody's got to take over your debt. So New York University, NYU has figured the problem out. They went out and got $350 million donated to pay the tuition of every medical student going to their university. They don't have to pay it back. It's all paid for. So suddenly, those physicians who want to be primary care docs and don't have to repay 200000 in debt can go and do that. That's going to help us in this country. And that's not going to be just at NYU. Believe me, Harvard and Yale are figuring, wait a second, if they're getting tuition free there, the smartest and the brightest students are going to be going to NYU and not coming to our place. So maybe we have to hit our alumni for $350 million or more. So I think that is a trend that's going to help us in this country provide universal health care. More doctors who are not encumbered by debt. 
We still haven't figured out tort reform in med malpractice and how that has to get under control. So there are a lot of questions here. But I'm happy that a listener called in, somewhat critical, but he asked good questions. And those are the discussions we need to have in this country. And that's how we're going to solve our problems. With that, we're going to take a short break. And then we're going to be back with my guest here in the studio, Dr. Stephen Scarangella. He's been a friend of the program and comes on quite often. And we love having him on to talk a little bit about hand surgery. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. The phone number's here, 860-522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. You can also email me at info at alessimd.com if you don't want to come on the air and you have a question for us. So today it's my great pleasure to have Dr. Stephen Scarangella back on the program. Dr. Scarangella is an orthopedic hand surgeon at Hartford Orthopedic Surgeons. Uh, he has been in the Willimantic area for many years, uh, now in the Hartford area as well, uh, and uh, at St. Francis Hospital, as well as Wyndham Hospital. Um, Steve, welcome back to the show. Tony, thanks so much for having me again. Uh, it's great to have you here. So can you explain a little bit to our listeners what you do? In other words, as an orthopedic surgeon, how you got into hand surgery, uh, your educational background, just kind of lay it out for everybody so they understand what an orthopedic hand surgeon is. Uh, sure. So uh, once out of medical school, uh, I did my surgical internship at Hartford Hospital, and then from there went on to uh, do my orthopedic surgical uh, residency at St. Luke's Roosevelt Hospital in New York City, uh, where I stayed on there to do a hand upper extremity fellowship for a year. Um, and then also did a uh, hand and trauma fellowship in Germany as well uh, prior to going into private practice. So that was sort of the, uh, the, the uh, training track for me to, to go on and uh, uh, pursue orthopedic surgery and specializing in hand upper extremity surgery. I don't think I knew you spent time in Germany. I did, yeah. I did uh, do a fellowship there. Uh, it was kind of a combined fellowship in uh, trauma surgery and uh, hand upper extremity surgery there with, uh, uh, with a university uh, 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 hospital in uh, Freiburg, Germany, uh, in the southern part. What made you decide to do it? Uh, well, you know, I had a little bit of time between my residency and my fellowship uh, that I wanted to kind of fill up, and I thought this would be a tremendous opportunity to kind of uh, take a look at, you know, uh, hand surgery and, and orthopedic surgery uh, practiced, you know, in, in a different country and see how, how things are different, maybe uh, pick up some uh, things that might be useful in my practice, uh, and uh, it was a great experience. What percentage of your work is trauma uh, versus elective surgery? Uh, well, there's a decent amount of it. I, I, uh, I'm uh, on the uh, hand trauma uh, call team at St. Francis Hospital for hand and upper extremity surgery. So we get a, a decent amount from there uh, because St. Francis, of course, is part of the, the Trinity uh, Health Network, which involves uh, a number of community hospitals that refer into St. Francis. So we see a fair amount of trauma from there. And of course, out in Wyndham, uh, we'll see uh, see some there as well. So I would say from a, a trauma standpoint, uh, from a percentage standpoint, you know, probably in the 40% range, I would say, of the surgeries that we do. Um, what kind of trauma are we talking about? Well, it can vary. Uh, uh, fractures, certainly, uh, and dislocations uh, are the big things that we'll tend to see uh, acutely. Uh, but certainly with respect to the hand, also lacerations uh, and cuts that, that come from a variety of, uh, of uh, uh, causes. Um, that can involve tendons, nerve uh, injuries, as well as uh, uh, communications or open openings with the joints or, or with fractures. 
Um, so those types of injuries are generally what we tend to see uh, from a traumatic standpoint. Are the biggest challenges in those injuries uh, vascular injury, tendon injury, nerve injury? What's the big, the hardest thing to repair? Well, I think uh, uh, when you get a combination injuries, I think a lot of times when you have the injuries that are involving all of those things, uh, they tend to be the, the more complicated injuries when you're having to certainly worry about circulation um, and the viability of either a digit or of an extremity, but in addition, uh, trying to uh, uh, deal with nerve injuries and the recovery that comes thereafter. And usually, again, most of the time with all of these things, you're going to have uh, tendon injuries and, and sometimes even bone injuries as well. Um, certainly during the winter, we've had our experiences with snowblower injuries, which tend to be very severe injuries because they kind of involve all of those things and usually some soft tissue uh, injury to go with it. Are we talking people putting their hand in the thing? Yeah. Unfortunately, still. that still occurs. And uh, it's just one of those things that, you know, you kind of lose your focus, I guess, a bit. And, and uh, um, there's certainly been a lot of technical, technological advances with these equipment, you know, to try to prevent these things. Well, they but, come with a stick now. The, the latest yeah. snowblower I bought comes with a plastic piece that is affixed to the thing so that if it gets stuck, they actually give you the thing to push it in. Yeah. No, it's amazing. It's um, it's one of these things that they just they happen every year. Uh, we had, uh, I know, one uh, uh, week that I was on call in March when uh, we had our last bout uh, with snow. We had three in one day. Um, and it's, uh, it's one of those things that just occurs. And they're complicated injuries because they really involve typically everything, uh, fractures, uh, tendon, nerve injuries, uh, uh, vascular injuries, and soft tissue defects and uh, problems with soft tissue coverage. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back with my guest, Dr. Stephen Scarangella. I want to talk a little bit about something more common, like carpal tunnel syndrome, and how to repair it. What are we doing for that now, since it's become a big problem as we use our hands repetitively, especially at keyboards and things such as that. Um, so this is Healthy Rounds, 860-522-9842 is the phone number, or 1-800-966-9842. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and today we're talking about maladies of the hand, hand surgery with Dr. Stephen Scarangella. And uh, we have a caller, so we're going to grab a call real quickly here. Uh, we have Gene from Harwinton. Gene, welcome to the show. Morning. How are you? Okay, pretty I good. Listen to your show every Saturday. I love it. You're very, you're very good people. Well, thank you. Okay, I have a question for the doctor. I am a, I am a stroke victim. Okay. And little by little, I've regained a little bit of use, but my hand it's, it's affected my left side, and my even though I can move my arm, my fingers want to form a fist, and they don't want to let go. Is there anything they can do for that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, have you have you had any uh, uh, treatment with an occupational hand therapist a after your stroke? Well, you know, uh, funny. I spent nine months in a nursing home after the stroke, and and uh, the the insurance company cut me off. You know, hmm. they only served me so long, and then it was going to be out of my pocket, and I couldn't afford it. So that was the end of it. When was the stroke, Gene? Oh, geez, it's been it's been a good two years now, maybe a little bit more. Okay. What do you think, Steve? Well, definitely. Uh, usually, the you know the first line of treatment usually is occupational hand therapy, and and they can really do quite a lot of things uh, to try to uh, combat the spasticity in your hand uh, and try to get some function restored. Uh, they're splinting and certainly exercising. Um, 
you know, other treatments available, uh, Botox injections sometimes if you're having a lot of spasticity uh, can be very helpful and useful. And then finally, there are surgical procedures you can do that will help as well uh, to try to get some better function to your hand. Um, so there's definitely options for you for sure. Well, it's funny. when I, Sometimes when I'm laying still, like in bed, and I stretch my legs out, there must be some muscular uh, connection there somewhere because the fingers try and straighten out. There is, actually. I, I, don't, I, I don't have any real, I can't use them, that's for sure, but they try and straighten a little bit. Yeah, so neurologically, it's a reflex that'll happen. So the problem is trying to use the hand purposely. And uh, again, as Dr. Scarangella said, the rehab part of it, uh, I would not give up on that. But sometimes uh, surgically, um, there are things it could do to get you a little bit more function, Gene. Uh, but let us know how it all goes. Okay. Thanks for how calling. How do I get a hold of that, doctor? Oh, right here. I, I'm glad you asked. The phone number, 860-456-3997. And where, where is his office located? Where are you located now, Steve? Uh, so we're in uh, uh, Willimantic, Connecticut. Uh, we also uh, go up to uh, uh, the Putnam area uh, in Connecticut and Manchester, Connecticut. Okay. Okay. I'm from northwest Connecticut, so I'd have to make a trip. We'll get you. So I'd like to have somebody professionally take a look at it because it is an aggravation. It's very frustrating. Yeah, I, I certainly understand that. Well, good luck with that, Gene. Let us Thank know. Thank you so much. Take care. Have a nice day. All right. Uh, we have another call. We have Ray from Bristol uh, on the line. Hi, Ray. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hello. Hi, Ray. Welcome to the show. You're on the air. Hello. Hello. Yes. We're losing them there. Uh, okay. All right. We'll try to get back to Ray. All right. Um, Steve, one of the things, actually, I didn't even do this day in medicine, which was uh, April 27th, 1887. They did the first appendectomy. And what made me think about that is to do an appendectomy now, everything's done with a scope. How has the How have these scopes and minimally invasive surgery, how has that affected hand surgery is that some of the stuff you guys are doing oh yes yeah that's a tremendous uh, advantage for us as, as well tony because we can um utilize that uh in the uh certainly in the uh, shoulder for sure there's uh plenty of indications there it's really revolutionized arthroscopic shoulder surgery and uh, rotator cuff surgery uh we use uh arthroscopy in the elbow uh, where we can uh, do a lot of uh, procedures there as well and we certainly use them in the wrist and i actually even do arthroscopic surgery at the uh um base of the thumb joint uh, in patients as well. So it really gives us an opportunity to, uh, in a very minimally invasive way, uh, get a good look at, at the anatomy and what's going on in people's joints and also uh, to be able to uh, correct some of the problems uh, in a much less invasive way. It's very helpful diagnostically as well as therapeutically. Uh, interesting, because uh, the caller who, who we lost there uh, due to the connection, uh, he had a question about the thumb. And we're seeing more and more patients with thumb pain. Um, I see them in the office. What cause? Why? Why are we seeing so much pain in the thumb? And as you said, some have to have arthroscopic surgery. Um, can you talk a little bit about it? Sure. Well, there's a number of things that can happen. And certainly, I think people are using their hands, I think, a lot 
more frequently and 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 during the course of the day uh, um, a lot without without interruption or rest uh, with all the keyboarding activities that we all have to do uh, so there's a lot more stress on the hand I think uh, than maybe previously uh, uh, that has been present the thumb is very involved in any type of a pinching activity so that's a lot of things we do all day long buttoning your shirt writing uh, certainly keyboarding using a mouse turning a doorknob uh, so it goes on and on and uh, the thumb is getting a lot of stress so there's tendonitis that can happen there are joint inflammations that can occur so it's uh, certainly a common thing that we see a lot more of um, do you think a lot has to do with using the phone i think that's a big part of it as well again uh, uh, the phone keyboarding mousing all of that that we're doing all day long uh, no question it's a lot more stress i think than than uh, what the hand's seen in the past uh, the sixty four thousand dollar question is uh, basically carpal tunnel syndrome uh, so many people have it. Uh, approaches to treatment, uh, still injection, surgery, what kind of surgery, what works best? So I think, uh, you know, catching it early is always, uh, like with everything, is always the, the best uh, uh, the best uh, thing that we have, I think. And so in that instance, uh, conservative treatment, you know, typically uh, using a resting uh, wrist splint at night when you're sleeping is very useful and helpful. Uh, and I think uh, most of the time, if you can catch it early, that can be very useful and helpful. I think also, uh, particularly in this uh, day and age when we're using our hands a lot more uh, in terms of keyboarding and that type of thing, trying to identify any potential issues mechanically with your hand that you're doing repetitively that may be putting you at risk for developing it and making adjustments that uh, might be able to correct it in that way. And then certainly the patients that uh, have more severe cases or aren't responding to conservative treatment, surgery can be very uh, useful and helpful, particularly catching it early. Um, so important, and especially all that overuse. Let's grab a few more questions here. Uh, we have Nick from New Britain. Nick, you're on. Hey, how you doing, doctor? Um, yeah, I have a uh, deep Gervin's uh, tendonitis. Just wondering. I'm doing physical therapy. Um, I was prescribed Relafin for it, and I work on a fishing boat and do a lot of repetitive motion with my thumb. Just wondering if you had any suggestions. Great to question. Great question. Common problem. Decorvain's tendonitis. Yeah, very, very common problem. So that's a tendonitis or an inflammation of the uh, uh, the two tendons that extend uh, your thumb and uh, pull your thumb away from your hand. And uh, right around your wrist, and particularly right around the area of where you might have a wrist watch, is kind of where that inflammation and pain tem tends to focus. One real big, uh, common, uh, easy thing you can do that'll help is to get a splint. Uh, you can get them right at the drugstore that go around your thumb and your wrist and immobilize your thumb and your wrist and wear that at night when you sleep. And that will help uh, uh, quite a bit to, to cool that down a little bit. Therapy can be useful with it. Corticosteroid injection uh, has a 50% cure rate, actually, with decorivane's tenosynovitis with just one injection. Um, and then finally, if, uh, if all of these things aren't getting rid of it for you, there's a 10-minute surgical procedure you can do under local anesthesia that should resolve it. So that's a, a very a treatable condition that you have there. Uh, sounds like something important for somebody like Nick who's working on a fishing boat. Absolutely. Nick, thanks for the call. Thank you very much. We're going to take a short break, and then we'll be back. John, we'll get to your question as soon as we get back from the break. I'm chatting today with Dr. Steven Scarangella, hand surgeon with Hartford Orthopedic Surgeons. His phone number is 860-456-3997 if you'd like to see Dr. Scarangella and get a consultation. We're going to take a short break. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. Mike Oakle's on the board, having a little bit of fun there. And we plan on helping people. Next up, we have John in West Hartford. Your wife has arthritis in her fingers, John. Yeah, yeah her index finger on both hands. Yep. 
uh, is slightly malformed. We feel it's due to we feel it's due to arthritis, but just below the nail, especially on the right finger, in the end, index finger next to the thumb, just below the nail, there's a bump there, like the bone is growing out, out up like you know, and there's a pain once in a while. Can anything be done about that? I wonder. Interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so uh, if it's right below the nail, that's usually the 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 uh far joint or the distal interphalangeal joint, and that's very common uh, to develop osteoarthritis or just kind of a wear and tear arthritis. And bone spurs can uh, pop up there. You can get deformity there. You can also get cysts there or ganglions. Um, and it's very easy. Uh, typically, that's a joint that's typically easy to manage, you know, very conservatively with minimally invasive type stuff. Uh, um, if you have a bump or a cyst or even a bone spur that's a problem, it's a very simple procedure to just remove it. Um, it doesn't involve any immobilization after surgery. Oh, that sounds wonderful. You can use your hand right yeah. away. It's it's not a not a complicated thing to resolve. That's great. Okay, so what All we'll right. do is we'll give you a call at the Manchester office then, right? Uh, sure. Be, we, ha we, be happy to see her. We, we have your number, the, the 456-3997. That, we'll go to Manchester. Sure. Sounds good. Okay. John, thanks so thank a lot. You. Thanks for calling. Bye. Uh, we're going to hit the lightning round here. All right. Next up, we have Steve from East Hampton. Numbness in the hands when reading in bed. Steve. Yeah, yeah. Hi, how you doing? Good. Yeah, I notice when, I, when I'm in bed, I get, like, numbness in my hands. Uh, mostly I feel like my pinkies and go numb. Okay, so I think um, one thing you probably want to look at is there's a, a nerve that's um, really right at your elbow uh, called the ulnar nerve, and that, that's the main nerve that uh, uh, will give sensation to your pinky. Although, are you having any issues with your neck, any pain in your neck at all while you're in bed? We're losing you. You're on the cell phone there? Yeah, yeah no pain in the neck. Okay. Okay, no pain in the neck. So, uh, and uh, so... Uh, Two, two things. One is um, you may want to take a look at your position of your elbow because if you are having some issues with your ulnar nerve, which would give you uh, some numbness in your pinky, usually it's with your elbow in a flexed position. And particularly if you're reading and you may be reading for a while, uh, you may be holding the book with your elbows flexed. If you can kind of get your elbows straightened out a little bit and extended, you may take the pressure off that nerve and you may find that to be less of an issue, uh, particularly if it's only occurring when you're in bed uh, reading. So sometimes changing the position of your elbows may be something to try that might help with that. All right, Steve, oh. hope that helps. W wonderful, yes, thank you so All much. Right. Sorry about this body service. Nah, no problem. Thanks, Thanks. Doc. Bye-bye. Uh, next, we have uh, Rich in Unionville. Question of trigger finger. Hey, Rich, you're on. Hi, how are you? All right, pretty good. Thanks, Thanks for taking the call. Um, my wife has one of her right-hand middle third finger next to the pinky is some sort of trigger finger, she calls it, She's um, she bought a brace for it. I don't know if it really works, but she does gardening for a living, and she's okay. using her hands. So I'm just curious as to what remedies there might be for it. All right, we're going to hang up. At, we're going to hang up, and I'm going to let Doctor Scarangella address the topic of trigger finger for your wife. Thanks for calling in, Rich. You got it. So trigger finger, very common problem. Uh, uh, the tendons that flex your fingers uh, become inflamed and swollen, and when they do, uh, the uh, tendon that flexes your finger goes into a tunnel that goes down the length of your finger, so there's not a lot of room in that tunnel. So once that tendon swells, it has trouble getting in and out of the tunnel, which causes that uh, characteristic snapping and pain. Uh, if you catch it early, uh, a couple things that are helpful, getting a little uh, simple wrist brace to wear at night when you sleep that keeps you getting from uh, extreme positions at night will help. 
Uh, if it continues to be problematic, a corticosteroid injection can be very helpful. And if it continues to be problematic, there's a minor surgical procedure that can be done under local anesthesia that takes about 10 minutes uh, that'll take the pressure off the tendon. Uh, you can start using your hand immediately after surgery, uh, not much downtime associated with it. It'll resolve the problem. And she gardens for a living, so that's that's a real problem. Hand-intensive activity. So always a good idea, particularly this time of year in spring as we're getting outside and, and doing our work, take some breaks. Uh, a lot of times I see patients that are gardening and uh, in their gardens, and they're there for six, eight hours straight uh, pulling things. Uh, you know, take some breaks. You know, take give your hands a little rest in between. Gardening is kind of a blood sport there. <laughs> uh, okay, we have Ray from Bristol. You're on. Hi, Ray. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Hi, how are you? All right. Um, my question from the doctor is uh, I've been diagnosed with arthritis in my thumb joints, both thumbs, and they want to do a tendon arthroplasty, uh, a CMC joint thing, yep. where, where they remove the trapezium, wind the tendon up into a ball, put it in place, and reattach it, I believe is the procedure. All right. We're going to talk a little bit about that. I'm going to hang up because okay. we're running out of time, but we're going to talk about it right now. I, I appreciate that. The one Thanks. question I have is just what the recovery period is on that. Thanks. Perfect. Sure. That's a uh, Number one, that's a tried and true procedure. It was developed at uh, the Roosevelt Hospital where I did my fellowship with uh, the doctors uh, Littler and uh, Eaton and Glickel. Um, so that procedure's been around quite a while. It's got great uh, track record. Um, so there is some recovery associated with it. Uh, typically, it's an outpatient surgical procedure, but you do need to be immobilized for about four weeks, typically. Um, and there's some variation in that from surgeon to surgeon, but that's, I would say, is about the average uh, in a cast. Um, and uh, after that, though, you'll need a fairly good amount of therapy to try to get your function and uh, restoration back. So after four weeks, you'll be able to use your hand again, but it's going to be a little stiff and sore and require therapy. And the uh, um, certainly the therapy part can go on for about a month, month and a half. Uh, but you can get improvement in your strength and your function uh, and range of motion for certainly six, eight months after surgery. Uh, but the acute downtime, four weeks in the cast, uh, and you're probably looking at about another uh, four weeks of therapy to try to get into a very good uh, functional place with it. Do they really wrap the tendon in a ball? So, yep. Typically, there's uh, so three parts to the surgery. Uh, uh, the CMC uh, joint of the thumb does get bone-on-bone -bone arthritis. So one part of the surgery is to remove uh, uh, one of the bones that gets rid of the bone-on-bone -bone, uh, pain. Um, and then one of the uh, tendons in the wrist is utilized as uh, kind of an interposition or, or a, uh, a little bit of a plug right in where that bone was. So you get a soft uh, tendon surface there. And the other part of the procedure is to use that same tendon where it inserts into the index finger bone as a ligament to kind of act as a strut between the thumb and the index finger to maintain uh, strength and function. Steve, I can't thank you enough. I think we solved a lot of problems here for patients today. Um, so everybody can remember Dr. Steven Scarangello was my guest. His phone number, 860-456-3997 at Hartford Orthopedic Surgeons. Steve, as always, thanks for coming on. Tony, thanks so much for having me. Uh, many thanks to our studio producer. Mike Olko has been on the board today. Jeff Chandler is in charge of sales and marketing for Healthy Rounds. Next week, we're going to have Dr. Mark Alberts as my guest. Dr. Alberts is the physician-in-chief of the Iyer Neurological Institute at Hartford Hospital. And we're going to be talking about neurology and neuroscience and research being done. Uh, but his specialty is stroke. And the month of May is Stroke Awareness Month. So we want to talk about new therapies for stroke and how to avoid them and how to get people better quickly. 
Next up on WTIC is going to be Garden Talk with Len. They have a taped program coming in. Please remember to help save lives. You can do that today by becoming an organ, eye, and tissue donor. Just go to registerme.org. Until next week, this is Dr. Anthony Alessi. Please stay healthy. This has been Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi. Sponsored by St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center, Ratchford Eye Center, MD Advantage, UConn Health Orthopedics and Sports Medicine, and the Connecticut State Medical Society. Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 11 for more Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com.